This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here with Mike Hogan, our digital director. Hey, Katie. Richard Lawson, our film critic. Hello. And Joanna Robinson, our senior writer. Hi. So this week we have a special adventure of an interview. Mike and Jordan, our producer, trekked up to Harlem to talk to Alec Baldwin. And he was having, uh, there was an event going on. Uh, It's going to be airing on Spike TV this weekend coming up. Uh, But I'll let you guys take it from here since I think you guys have a lot of details to share. Yeah, first of all, I mean, it's like trekked up to Harlem, like it's just, it's Harlem, it's in New York City, but, and, and <laughs> Listen, it's mostly... as we discussed, the subways are treacherous. I know, it's like mostly white people now, but Harlem still has a great vibe that persists, and I gotta tell you, the first of all, I was in such a great mood, because I had this really weird um, uh, brace on my hand that sort of had like a Karl Lagerfeldian plastic mesh, black mesh thing, and so when I got <laughs> off the train, I was still like reading something on my phone, that I and I had a few minutes, and so I was holding up the phone with this hand, and a guy and I have my earbuds on and this guy starts waving at me and I'm like what what sorry I take the earbuds out and he goes where'd you get the glove and I said this and he goes yeah the glove where did you get it I said oh it's just like a hand brace like a medical thing he's like oh medical and he walked away but anyway I felt so hey. cool I was like wow this hand brace yeah. <laughs> I'm like I'm like I've I mean, got a cool thing here I start, didn't know you should start wearing it yeah so then so anyway we walked over I, at, at when I got to 126th street there's like this brownstone with all these people outside and Jordan is there with her mom it's true <laughs> I brought my mom your, your mom <laughs> Pam Yep, Pam. And what were what were you guys doing? <laughs> well, we were. What did we do before? I think she just got her hair cut, and then we were walking around. And then I was like, "Well, I gotta go do this thing." And she was gonna just walk around, but uh, she yeah. just hung out outside while we met with so, Alec Baldwin. But so I was excited yeah. to meet Pam and show off my glove, which yeah. I now cool thought glove. of as being cool instead <laughs> yeah. of really uncool. It was very uh, previously. Cool. <laughs> um, anyway, so then I went in briefly to watch Alec Baldwin. He was shooting this uh, promo in very, very high heat because there's no AC in this um, kind of like community center brownstone. He was dressed as George Washington doing um, Donald Trump voice. And it was pretty funny. And he's like, he's like, hello, America. It's your first president, George Washington. You didn't think I talked like this, did you? But that's because history books have done a total hatchet job on me. You know, blah, blah, blah. And it was funny. So what was he? What was he in costume for? 
for a promo for this okay so the whole point of this interview is he's doing this tribute spike tv tribute uh to him which they've done a few of these they did one for don rickles they did one for eddie murphy etc and i guess it's like a little bit better than the comedy central roast because as he puts it in the interview like you actually know the people they don't just like hire a bunch of murderous comedians to rip the shit out of you like they actually have your friends come (laughs) right um so anyway then we were chatting outside and then people kept yelling at us Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right and then and then they invited us downstairs oh but i gotta my point the other point is alec baldwin while he's doing the promo he's doing it and then he'll stop and go and go sorry hold back uh, scroll back up scroll back up right there stop okay and then he would go back into it and then he'd be like sorry uh, scroll back up scroll back up right there yeah and then he'd be like and then he'd be like uh you're in the frame sorry when you stand there it's uh, very distracting can you please move okay okay back uh scroll okay right there and then he would do it and it was like wild like he was in the yeah. zone he was it, in the zone totally so then we went down so then somebody let us go downstairs mm-hmm. And what did your mom say afterwards? Like, what was her experience of this? <laughs> she said it was very entertaining. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, like, we were just in this house with, I get like, a bunch of people working the event. And then it was, like, very high stress. But also, like, we didn't know who anyone was, really. So no one knew that I was just, like, there with my mom. Because she was like, I don't know. People <laughs> think I'm supposed to be here if I'm working or what's yeah. going on. But, um <laughs> Yeah, it, and it was like the the acoustics of the building were just like not ideal in terms of like recording anything because anytime someone walked in this old house, like Alec Baldwin would be like, quiet down downstairs and someone would yell. And it Did he get a broom like, and start hitting so he, <laughs> the ceiling? So we kind of hearing the Trump voice from upstairs yeah. and like, and then every once in a while someone would be like, quiet, quiet downstairs, quiet outside. And I just yeah. keep looking at Jordan's mom going, she must think like we're all in <laughs> showbiz. Yeah. Anyway, this is, this is, when people think that uh, film shoots are glamorous, this is like in some way like every yeah. film that I've ever been on has some combination of that. But Alec Baldwin, he was not he was not being um, nasty or rude or anything. It was just like he was sweating to death and mm-hmm. he was trying to get this stupid thing done. And he's sensitive to noise. I, he's a pro in that sense, as we found out when we we're shooting when we we're doing the podcast. Finally, yeah. Yeah. is that if he if there would be a siren, I mean, I'm, part of me is just like, dude, we're in a brownstone in Harlem. Like, there's going to be noise. Yeah. But if there yeah. would be a siren, if there be anything he'd be like stop and he kind of hold his hand up <laughs> and wait yeah. to the point where you, you at one, one well, point you're like, like you're, you're, you're producing. Just producing this show for me yeah. it's fine yeah. it's great <laughs> now i have to ask when you were doing this interview was he in the george washington costume no and, and there was a talk of that but i think it was just too hot yeah sure so he had to like change out but anyway then there were like but you were wearing the blowing so yeah. i was in costume <laughs> yeah. as trump <laughs> right yeah. Anyway, I did lose my nerve. To, uh, I wanted to do the Trump impersonation oh. back, back and forth with him, but uh, yeah. not so much. Wait, I think the news broke since you guys talked to him that he'll be back on SNL doing the Trump impression next year when it seemed yeah. like he might uh, not be. I mean, where, how does he seem to feel about the impression at this point? Because he seemed kind of worn out on the guy by the end of the season of SNL. You know, what, one thing he said, which I should have followed up on, was because um, I was like, I don't know how you do all the things you do. It's insane. He's got a podcast. He's got TV shows. He's doing this special. He's doing SNL. And he's like, it's going to be a lot less it's going to be a lot less actually right um but i stupidly didn't say does that mean you're doing trump on snl or not um but anyway uh he seems a little tired he definitely um he's he's interestingly circumspect on the subject of trump didn't you think jordan he like he's not going to fully go in he he, he like I, I i felt i got from him that he was just kind of like not ambivalent about it but he just kind of was like yeah this is something i'm 
doing right now and i wonder if it's like yeah. you know like rupaul won't show up in drag unless he's being paid you know i wonder if like <laughs> alec baldwin and trump it's like he's like yeah i'll yeah. do it but if you know the money has to be right i'm not just gonna right. like, give it out for free or talk about it you know for yeah. free I don't uh know. so anyway we talked about the julius caesar thing though because a he had seen it and b he once uh, starred in macbeth in the park and mm-hmm. so i was curious about that mm-hmm. and and i was curious about what he thought about those protests since he's since he's been part of many protests himself you know so at some level yeah. you're you should probably defend everyone's right to protest even if it's extremely annoying and kind of boneheaded to <laughs> stop a production <laughs> of julius caesar um anyway that's all i just i just thought it was fun that jordan brought her mom and and uh <laughs> that everyone was really hot and that we kept getting yelled at yeah yeah, yeah. quiet uh, so people <laughs> So people can watch the uh, not a roast, but uh, Alec Baldwin tribute on Spike TV this weekend. Uh, and I guess now we listen to uh, Mike and Jordan's conversation with Alec Baldwin slash George Washington costume. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How is your social battery right now? What's the right amount of socializing for you? And how do you recharge? Maybe you thrive around people, or maybe you need more alone time. Therapy can give you the self-awareness to build a social life that doesn't drain your battery. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LittleGoldMen today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash Little Gold Men. I'm here with Alec Baldwin, and it's the day of your tribute at the Apollo. Oof. Are yeah. you uh, are you ready to be tributed? <sighs> well, it's funny, you know, when you see those shows as the people who produce the Spike show pointed out to me, there are other venues where they really roast you, you know, and it's yeah. people who don't even know you. And uh, they get a lot of comedy talent in there who, you know, they don't even really know you personally. So they just give them a lot of savage right. angles and lines to kind of, uh, uh, it's like predation, you know what I mean? Like kind yeah. of National Geographic. And then this one is a bit more um, uh, good natured, you know, and they right. have a, it's as much this is your life and much of a biographical thing as it is. I mean, they're going to kick me hard. It's not fully like Trump's cabinet telling him how great he is around the table, right? Oh, it can't be that. It can't be. Yeah, I walk out <laughs> if it's that. I'll I heard leave. there were there were a few surprise guests. Do you have any guesses of who of who might turn up? And I have a couple of guesses. Yeah. Okay. All right. But I don't. Um, I would talk to certain people in my life, and I'd say, and you could almost tell. 
it's amazing what bad liars people really are. <laughs> I'd say to them, are you coming to this thing for me in New York on Sunday? They'd be like, no, no, right. no. <laughs> oh, no. I'm going to be in uh, London, London. Right. And I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> Okay, great. What are you doing in London? Well, you know, uh, I've got some meetings and stuff and uh, see some yeah. shows and, you know, London. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And, uh, but, the, but I, I have a guess about a couple people, yeah. But you have had such an incredible career and a varied career. You do, I, I don't know how you have enough hours in the day to do all the things that you do. I'm going to do less now. And, yeah. uh, oh, really? And, yeah. But one thing I'm interested in just reading your book is your theater background. Uh, right. you know, and you even did Macbeth. Right. In uh, in the public theater, right? Yeah, with Liam Schreiber, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. do you do you expect that the theater uh, stuff will come into into it? I don't know. You know, if I did a play, I did a play in 2015. The last show I did was in uh, 2015 on Long Island in East Hampton at Guildhall, and that's kind of what I'm limited to now because of my kids. I have such yeah. little kids. So the idea of packing all of us up and going to London, for example, which I'd like to do, yeah. I've got to wait for my wife to give me the signal right. to do that. So I think I'm starting to track some pretty old characters I'm going to play, some really old men. Uh, <laughs> by the time I can go, when my wife says we can go, I'll probably be pretty old. Are there roles in the theater that you can think of the, the, that you'd still like to take on? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd love to do a play... And I think you always think about, you know, once you do plays, you always think about well, what would I do next, you know, yeah. age-wise and what I'm right for. And there's some obvious choices, but I think um, my life is so dictated by my kids now, you know, where, yeah. like, where I work and where I don't work. And there's three or four really, like, soaring opportunities I had in the last three, four years, which I couldn't do because do of my kids, you know. Yeah. So I'm really, uh, at this point, I'm very comfortable with that. Yeah that plan because it's kind of you know what i do now which is run off and do something and then come home and try to be with my family and and creating jobs and thinking of jobs might do uh, some pretty unusual ideas we have right now that would enable me to stay home but you did go to the the public right you saw the julius caesar what, what was that like well, we went down to see that i thought that they did a good job i thought that you know uh, julius caesar is a play that most uh, actors I know, they track that play and think, well, when I'm young, I'm Antony, and when I'm middle-aged, I'm Cassius or Brutus, and when I'm yeah. older, I'm Caesar. And everybody has an eye toward that play and loves that play because it has this tremendously powerful language, and there are great speeches and great scenes to play. But I think I was taken aback. I was sad about uh, Delta Airlines yeah. and them doing that because there's as much... You know, there's a, I mean, we could sit down and waste a lot of time ticking off the both sides of the column where someone says something and then someone on the other side says something similar and they don't, they go uh, unpunished or unboycotted, if you will. But I think that, uh, I think that there's people in our country now who, uh, and, and corporations are very much at the fore of this, who they want everybody to calm down and accept that Trump is the president. Yeah, they want you to take all of your complaints about Russian hacking and uh, Trump gutting the EP. Whatever Trump is doing, people are like, "Okay, great, we got it." Right. You hate Trump. You hate everything he does. We're done. Get over and just it. Get, get over it. They yes. want everybody to because because with other elected officials who, you know, obviously the obvious example is Bush. That that election was uh, disputed and what the outcome was, and people had very hard feelings about him, and uh, it seemed that within. You know, not even a year of him winning, 9-11 happened. 
Yeah. And uh, people seem to have a unique uh, set of feelings about Trump. And yet, nonetheless, here we are coming into the summertime. We're halfway through the first year of his administration. And they want everybody to move on. Right. Well, you, but you've been involved, obviously, in a kind of a cultural criticism of, of Trump that the whole world has been watching. And, and so I wonder, when you watched the, the show, uh, The Julius Caesar, did you think it was effective cultural criticism? Did you think it worked, Oscar Eustace's kind of taking, c- comparing uh, Caesar to Trump? Well, in Caesar, the people who, who kill Caesar... Uh, um, they kill themselves at the end of the play. Right. So yeah. it's not some slam dunk in one direction. Yeah. It's a much more complicated take on human nature and politics and power and things like that. Uh, Johnny Depp just had this, you know, kind of loopy comment of his about yeah. it's been, uh, you know, it's been perhaps too long since we've had an actor kill a president. But, uh, you know, although there's certainly a way that you should say things, as I've learned from my own experience, right. and there's a way that you should uh, convey certain beliefs you have. The the basic, I mean, I guess that Johnny Depp is just extremely frustrated like everybody else. And you knew it was a matter of time yeah. before months would go by and people would start to say inappropriate things out of frustration. Right. They, they do not recognize the legitimacy of this guy, and they're really, really very despondent about that. But, but have you ever experienced something as an actor where people are actually disrupting, you know, the, the work that you're trying to do? And, and oh, as a yeah. person who, you know, is involved in politics, do you think that that's a legitimate form of pro- protest or do you think that that's crossing the line? Well, I think where people interrupt any event, whether it's protesters at a congressional hearing, at a campaign event, where you see them on the news all the time getting hauled out of an event, people protesting against Trump, and his events and so forth. I think wherever you see that, it's a double-edged sword because although you recognize the uh, the legitimacy and the uh, the purpose of what they're doing, you often feel that if you had the time and the inclination and the opportunity, you might do the same thing under a given set of circumstances. Mm-hmm. You nonetheless sit there and go, "Okay, do you feel better now?" <laughs> right. Because it doesn't really. It might not move your cause further. It might not right. really be as effective as you'd like it to be. That kind of noisy, brassy protest. Yeah. But uh, I, I've never had anybody demonstrate or protest at a show I did. Right. But uh, I think that people are just very. I think. I think. I think Trump's. Opposition is getting very, very antsy and very, very frustrated because they do believe that that uh, a reservoir of information is we're right on the verge of maybe tapping into that. Right. If we had courageous public servants in charge of that uh, investigation. Yeah. And they're getting frustrated at the kind of glacial pace of the whole thing. Yeah. And so on one hand, Trump's supporters and Trump's uh, handlers might welcome pushing the whole Comey situation when that might not be where the gold lies. Mm-hmm. It's like when Dan Rather tried to bring down Bush mm-hmm. uh, with the, uh, the National, National Guard, Guard reports. Yeah. Yeah. And many people, and, and I think Rather himself, if he were candid, would tell you that they planted those documents on yeah. him, that Bush's supporters gave him the bait, and he bit the hook, unfortunately, yeah. and ended his career. That's I mean, what Mary makes Yeah, he <laughs> killed his career. <laughs> And they fed him that because they yeah. knew that they were lusting for that report. And I think that the same is true with Trump. We have to be very careful that we don't have a, 
uh, a uh, Air National Guard scenario on our heads. Yeah. Well, and the Christopher, not to go too deep into this, but the Christopher Steele memo seems to have aspects of that possibly, right? right? Where some of it might be true and some of it we might yeah, be We have to be very fair. careful. I have faith in Mueller. Do you have, um, are you getting catching hell from Trump supporters because of the impersonation? Or, or do they kind of think like, ah, it's SNL, like every, every president gets, uh, well, I think the people, I mean, I think the world is divided into three groups. There are people who are not Trump supporters and they tend to be in the same stripe. There are people who are Trump supporters who nonetheless appreciate what a fool he is. Right. But they nonetheless support the policies. They, they're sitting there going, they're, they're Park Avenue Republicans. You know, they want low yeah. taxes and low regulation. They want to make money. Yeah. They want the Dow to go to 25,000 and they, you know, they really don't care about, they couldn't give a damn if gay people get married or, you know, they don't care about abortion or social issues. They want low taxes. Right, right. Let me switch, switch, switch gears because we're, uh, an awards podcast, uh, mainly. And first uh, of all, I, you know, the Trump impersonation is relevant because I think we're going to see you in the Emmy mix this year. But can you, do you have any standout memory of hosting the Oscars with, uh, Steve Martin? Well, first of all, when we did that, it was very odd because I had hosted the women in film program for, uh, Elle magazine. And when I was there, someone, I, I, I made some presentation and someone said, Oh, isn't he fabulous? He should host the Oscars. Yeah. And I remember thinking, Oh God, what a bizarre idea. <laughs> I, mean, I never saw myself as someone hosting the Oscars, but they came, because Steve and I had done it's complicated. Yeah. So they came to us to do it and. I remember, you know, thinking I'm going to put all my trust in Steve because he's done it before. And sure enough, we went into a room with the writers and they were all handpicked by Steve. I grabbed a couple of 30 Rock guys who over the phone did some, uh, wrote some bits for them. And um, I did the thing with Steve. But what I remember most about the Oscars was how Academy membership and their relationship to the film industry through the prism of the Academy is pretty much the sole identity some people from the movie business have who are older people. Yeah. So I went to the event and there would be a break and I go running down a hallway and there'd be some guy who'd go, Mr. Baldwin, uh, thank you so much for taking time to uh, uh, host the Oscars. You and Steve Martin, I'm very appreciative. My name is Del uh, Swanson and I was the property master on She Wore a Yellow Ribbon or they'd name some bygone movie. I'd be like, my God. Right. And then there's a woman that, you know, she's like, I mean, I don't remember the movie, but the woman was like, I'm Muriel Hathaway. Thank you so much for taking the time, Mr. Baldwin. And she was like, I'm Muriel Hathaway. And I was the script supervisor on North by Northwest. You know, they, they right. named some yeah. vintage movie. Uh-huh. And I remember just being completely overwhelmed by what the Academy means to people who are members and work their life. There have been people now are different from back then. Back then, yeah. membership in the Academy was a very, very precious thing. Yeah. But it means a lot to actors to get them, don't you think? As one of the things I liked about your book is you're kind of honest about how what a big deal it is, whereas a lot of actors seem to pretend like, ah, oh, it's not. Well, I think e- even if you don't walk around dreaming of winning an Oscar or, or, or trying to literally scam your way or kind of <laughs> commandeer your way into winning an Oscar and you're trying to work that angle a lot... I think everybody knows that if you do win one, it's not a bad thing. It's going to only, it can only help you. And so, I mean, I, I, and I know Oscars that have gone to people for the right reasons and Oscars that have gone to people, as I'm sure you feel the same, for the wrong reasons, to yeah. serve their careers or what have you. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, sometimes the Academy gets it right in my mind and sometimes they don't. 
that uh, when you see them get it right, when you see them honor somebody who you admire, you know, like when Kate Blanchett won for a movie I did with her, we did uh, uh, Blue Jasmine with Woody. I was so happy because Kate, I was there and we did only one really tough scene. The rest of it was a bit more simple and lighthearted. And Kate, I mean, she worked so hard. I mean, she just wrung herself out. She was like, there nothing left of her when we did that scene. And I haven't been around that kind of acting lately that much because I did a sitcom and I've done, uh, you know, movies like It's Complicated, things that are a bit lighter. And when you do a heavy drama and you see people dig to those depths, when she won, I was elated, I can honestly say. Well, that's great. That's a great story to end on. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it and enjoy the tribute. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That does it for this week's Little Gold Men. Thank you for listening. And as always, find us on Apple Podcasts to rate us, interview us, and tell your friends to listen to us and get through your summer movies and uh, Alec Baldwin tributes and everything else. Uh, you can find us all at VanityFair.com. We're also on Twitter at Little Gold Men. And on our own, I'm at Katie Rich. Mike? Mike underscore Hogan. Richard? Rylaws. And Joanna? Joe wrote this. This episode was edited and produced by Jordan Bell with special guest Jordan's mom. And thanks to uh, Andy Bowers at Panoply. Know that fizzy feeling you get when you read something really good, watch the movie everyone's been talking about, or catch the show the internet can't get over? At the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast, we chase that feeling five times a week. We talk about the buzziest movies, TV, music, books, and more. From lowbrow to highbrow to in between, catch the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR.